The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, July 21st. Dr. Lauren Underwood is joining us again today to talk about published scientific papers that support biomedical interventions for autism. To our listeners, if you are new to this program or new to an autism spectrum diagnosis, I'm going to be reading some excerpts from the papers. They may sound like I'm speaking Martian and then Lauren is going to break it down for us. So don't go away, and you can email me to see the papers or to ask Lauren additional questions. Lauren, thanks for coming back. Thank you so much for having me back again, Terry. Well, Lauren, you wanted to discuss Dr. Jill James' paper, Metabolic Biomarkers of Increased Oxidative Stress and Impaired Methylation Capacity in Children with Autism that was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. And the results of that study say, relative to the control children, the children with autism had significantly lower baseline plasma concentrations of methionine, acetylmethionine, homocysteine, cystocyanine, cysteine, and total glutathione, and significantly higher concentrations of acetyl homocysteine, adenosine, and oxidized glutathione. This metabolic profile is consistent with impaired capacity for methylation, significantly lower ratio of acetylmethionine to acetyl homocysteine, and increased oxidative stress, significantly lower redox ratio of reduced glutathione to oxidized glutathione in children with autism. Why is that a bad metabolic profile? This is a hugely significant research finding and very exciting, and I'm really glad that you chose to pick this paper first. One, because a lot of research that had been pointed to or directed at in the past was not necessarily associated with, you know, lab testing, you know, done on children with autism. It's been kind of like stuff that's been done on cells or tissue culture in the lab. So one, this is results coming from children that are affected with autism compared to children that are unaffected. Okay, what is so significant about the findings in this paper is that all of the significant elements that are associated with the detoxification pathway, and this is one of the things that I'm always talking about in my talk that I try to break down so people understand. The fact that within the methylation transulfuration cycle pathway that the plasma concentrations of methionine and SAM and homocysteine are significantly lower is 
telling you that there is something going on, there's something wrong, there is not an effective means for their detoxification pathway to function, that their detoxification pathway is not functioning as effectively as a control or a neurotypical child is. And not only is it showing that just one of the components of these pathways that are critical for them to function properly are low, but as you mentioned, several of these things are low. And because these are low, there's actually a buildup of things that you don't want to have being high, which also points to the fact that these pathways are not functioning properly. Okay, so one of the things she cited was uh, this metabolic profile is consistent with impaired capacity for methylation, significantly lower ratio, and that was indicated by a significantly lower ratio of S-adenosyl methionine to S-adenosyl homocysteine. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. Okay, I'm not sure I got all the syllables in the first time around. Okay, because that part of the pathway is responsible for producing what we call methyl donors for all methylation processes in the body, not just for detoxification. And if you are not producing enough methyl groups, it's going to affect a variety of methylation biochemical pathways in the body, not just related to detoxification. So this has huge ramifications on all systems of the body. All right. Let's... Uh, bring this down to a really practical level. So uh, I'm walking around and suddenly I'm assaulted with some aluminum or some pollutant. Maybe I get aluminum or mercury from a vaccine, maybe um, in a highly polluted area. What exactly is methylation, methylating something that makes these poisons, these Toxicants more tolerable. Um, well, it's a it's a little more in, involved with that, but the the detoxification pathway. Now, going back to talking about that, um, involves your body ability to produce enough glutathione, so that when you are exposed to whatever toxin, whether it's an organic phosphate, a heavy metal, you know, like you mentioned, aluminum or lead or whatever. Your body is producing, through these methylation pathways, enough of a compound in your body called glutathione, which I like to refer to as the garbage truck of your body. It picks up these things that you don't want, and it helps your body remove them, you know, get rid of them. So if these methylation pathways aren't functioning efficiently, if you're not producing enough glutathione, your body is not going to be able to remove these toxins as effectively and as efficiently as somebody who does not necessarily have these methylation hiccups, as I'd like to call it, because you are methylating. You are producing these things because if you didn't, you would not be alive. You're just not functioning. They're not being produced as effectively and as efficiently as somebody else. And the theory is, is that you're genetically predisposed to not process as efficiently as the next person. So you get to a tipping point where you're exposed to a level where your detoxification pathways can't handle it anymore. It's just like it's going too fast. You've got so much 
that because your your pathway goes at a slower speed or not as effectively as somebody else's, you get a buildup of these toxins, and that's where you run into problems. So I, I guess a million-dollar question would be, Lauren, you know, humankind has been around for an awfully long time. How come all of a sudden so many children uh, seem to be showing methylation hiccups and, I mean, 10,000 genes, uh, the genes of 10,000 people just don't wake up one morning and say, we think we want to express ourselves. Um, exactly. Was everybody born with methylation hiccups, or did something so overwhelm humanity all of a sudden that are the genes that had been working just fine for all these years, or the body's chemistry that had been wor- working well enough all these years just suddenly got overwhelmed? Um. Yes, uh, it's a combination of the genetic susceptibility. So, yes, you have had this genetic makeup, but because of something that you've been exposed to in the environment or a compounded amount of something that you've been exposed to the environment, you're no longer able to handle your exposure. You know, we live in a toxic world now, which is unfortunate. The environment that we live in now is not the same environment that we lived in 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. There are chemicals, there are byproducts, there are food colorings, there's additives, there's preservatives, there's, there's just so many, there's pesticides. There are so many things that, you know, one, are new to our environment, two, that also build up in our environment just like they build up in our body. Mm, our, body our body is an environment, too. <laughs> yeah, and especially, you know, our body is an environment for a growing fetus. So, right. yeah. Um, well, this uh, interview will have a lot to do with the interventions that these papers um, lend support to. So, and that's the hopeful part of this. Uh, not so great that we've been polluted with, you know, poisons and parasites and stuff in the first place, but that we can do something about this. So, Joel, well, that we uh, understand a little more clearly what the problem is, and since we do, we can, like you said, approach a form of treatment, which is really exciting. You know, if you understand where the problem is, rather than just continually putting Band-Aids on because you don't understand why certain things are happening, there are ways to address the problem. Right. And, and what I also like to mention is that, you know, when when you talk about, you know, biochemicals of the body, you talk about... Uh, vitamins, minerals, nutrients that you get from your foods that are required to run these biochemical pathways. And when you talk about supplementing with these types of things, I also like to mention that, you know, this is not a far-out concept because there are diseases that are associated with vitamin or nutrient deficiencies. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to address treatment with things like vitamins and supplements. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so Jill James' paper, what interventions does it lend itself to? Um, well, it's supporting these metabolic pathways. And by supporting them, meaning where you're having hiccups, as I'd like to refer to, in these pathways, provide the byproducts that are needed or the cofactors that are needed to drive these reactions to fulfill the production of So things like folinic acid so that you end up with 
for the, uh, you know, and it's so hard to describe without having, you know, the picture in front of you uh, to describe all, you know, the, the parts of the pathway. But why you would consider adding folinic acid because you need the methyl group that's transferred from that to be donated to methionine synthase, which is the, you know, enzyme that helps drive and recycle methionine back to glutathione, and it also helps the enzyme methotetrahydrofolate reductase um, convert folinic acid so that it can be used with methyl B12, again, to convert methionine to glutathione. When we come back from break, we'll talk a little bit more about the supplements that will support the methylation pathway, support detoxification, and help heal kids with autism. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Lauren Underwood. In the first section of this program, we were discussing Dr. Jill James' paper, Metabolic Biomarkers of Increased Oxidative Stress and Impaired Methylation Capacity in Children with Autism. That was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. It indicated that the kids with ASD had impaired capacity for methylation and increased oxidative stress, um, but we can improve that metabolic profile and help heal the kids. And Lauren, can you pick up where you left off with the uh, nutritional supplements? 
Absolutely. So we had left off with possibly supplementing with folinic acid and had gone into where that plays a role in those metabolic pathways. But um, one of the key uh, supplementations that can be incorporated is methylcobalamin. Okay, why methylcobalamin? Because methylcobalamin already has that methyl group on there, which makes it the active form of B12. So that can drive that reaction. It can convert your homocysteine back up to methionine because you have that active form of B12 so that methionine can go on and, one, produce your methyl donors, and, two, recycle it back around so that you can transsulfurate to produce more glutathione. So there are several ways that you can supplement with uh, methylcobalamine. Uh, there's an uh, injectable form that you need to have a physician or healthcare practitioner's uh, prescription for. Uh, people can also go to a health food store, and I want to make it, you know, 100% clear to, you know, anybody who goes in to purchase to please read your labels because just because it says B12 does not mean it's methyl B12. Most manufacturers make a uh, nutritional supplement with met with uh B12 with cyanocobalamin, which actually you do not want to supplement with because, one, it's not the active form, and two, you have that cyano group, which is a toxic group, which you don't necessarily want to add. It's just making more work for the system to get it to convert to methyl. You want to start with methyl because you know that's the active form of, of B12. And, um, you know, there are... There are um, transdermal preparations that can also be created. Uh, you can get that from a compounding phar- pharmacist. And then there's also a nasal version, which you can injure in, I'm sorry, uh, spray intranasally like a nose spray that you can buy over the counter, like an Afrin type of thing. And, again, that's compounded by a compounding pharmacist. And all these are vehicles in order to boost and get methylcobalamin into your body, again, to drive these biochemical pathways. Lauren, what are the kind of symptoms that you see when the children um, have this impaired capacity for methylation? Is it that they're more toxic and so that affects their behavior or that they have increased oxidative stress and that affects their health? What do you, what do you see and how does this help improve that? Um, you know, it, it, again, uh, these children will tend to look more alert, um, look healthier. Uh, you get parents... I've heard people say they, their children have had an injection of methyl B12 and have actually you know, said their first words, better eye contact, the whole spectrum. And some kids, it's more subtle. Um, again, they just have an overall sense of well-being. They just seem more content and less irritable. So it, it, it's a spectrum disorder, so treatments can affect the children in a spectrum of ways as well. But generally, you start from a sense of... Um, better sense of well-being, all the way up to alertness, more attentiveness, uh, eye contact, and language. So, and, and again, there are some kids, you know, they're very, very sensitive, a range of responses as well. Uh, on top of this, many children tend have been kind of like lethargic. Um, it can increase activeness. In some cases, some kids do experience a, a short time period of hyperactivity. If you notice as you're treating over time, you kind of like have to monitor Dosing with your healthcare practitioner to a level where you kind of like balance alertness and attentiveness to hyperactivity. So, um, you know, it, again, what, with any of these, you know, interventions, always recommend working with your healthcare provider. Right. 
Um, and we know that Dr. James Newbrander has studied the use of uh, injectable uh, methylcobalamin or methyl B12 um, extensively in a patient population. Um, yes, he's treated thousands, I want to say thousands of patients with you know, a tremendous amount of success. And I know he at least used to have the, the, cor- the correct way um, to do a sub-Q injection, I think did on the website because there is a correct way uh, and an incorrect way to do these sub-Q injections to, to benefit from uh, methyl B12. So. Again, yes, and again, um, it is there, although I, I still like to recommend always under the care of a health right. provider. I don't want to tell or recommend how to administer any type of anything, um, just make recommendations and suggestions on why and how these treatments may work. Right. So would it be fair to say that from Dr. James' paper and and or in your estimation, uh, things like uh, supplemental folinic acid, uh, injectable MB12, and something like IV glutathione would be helpful? Absolutely, yes, because, you know, you're boosting your body's natural ability to detoxify. Right. And, you know, again, why can you, you brought up IV glutathione, so I guess I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Uh, you can purchase... Uh, oral supplementation or PO supplementation of glutathione. However, absorption through the GI tract is very, very minimal. Not to say that, you know, you shouldn't purchase it and try it. It's just a very, very small percentage actually gets through the GI tract without being broken down to be absorbed into the bloodstream and used. So alternative routes are looked at. Um, it can be prepared, as a, again, as a transdermal preparation through a compounding pharmacist where you apply onto the skin. It's absorbed in, through the skin and gets directly into the bloodstream that way. Uh, it can also be prepared as a suppository. And, again, you, you insert it through the rectal lesion, and there's a lot of blood vessels in that area. You get a, um, you know, immediate absorption directly into a large number of blood vessels so that the glutathione can get into the bloodstream. And then, as you mentioned also, you can, under the care of a health care provider, administer IV glutathione. Um, you have to make sure that, you know, that the children's basic health state is very well. I'm not sure of the recommendations across the board, but there, I, I think there's a certain recipe as far as the glutathione, making sure you have some vitamin C in there as well. I think that's part of the recipe for the IV, but again, right. I, I don't administer, but you want to make sure you get the right type of dosing when you, you look at doing any kind of IV administration. Absolutely. Now, Drs. Wally and Dee's paper, Activation of Methionine Synthase by Insulin-like Growth Factor 1 and Dopamine, a target for neurodevelopmental toxins and thimerosal, which was in molecular psychiatry, said, methylation events play a critical role in the ability of growth factors to promote normal development. Neurodevelopmental toxins such as ethanol and heavy metals interrupt growth factor signaling, raising the possibility that they might exert adverse effects on methylation. So, Lauren, what did they find actually, and does any of this have any connection with what Jill James was talking about? Um, this is very much interrelated to Jill James's, Jill James's study. And, again, it's going back to this whole detoxification detoxification pathway. Methionine synthase is that um, enzyme, and when I'm talking about an enzyme, I'm talking about something that helps drive the chemical reaction that converts 
B12 to methyl B12. And what we were just talking about, you need this active form of B12 in order to recycle homocysteine back around to methionine again. So methionine is going and producing, you know, glutathione, so we have enough glutathione, and all your methyl groups. And so if there is an issue with this enzyme in that biochemical pathway, you are going to have an decreased ability to convert cobalamin to methylcobalamin, the active form. And what this paper is suggesting is that an insult, like from, um, they're suggesting like alcohols and thimerosal, can affect the function of this enzyme that is responsible for driving this chemical reaction. Yes, they are directly interrelated. Now, please bear in mind, this was, you know, um, done in a lab, you know, where cells are cultures on plates. This is, you know, a different type of study, but it still relates to this biochemical pathway and, you know, hugely significant. But I just wanted to make sure that um, people were aware of, you know, how this study was conducted. And what kinds of therapeutic intervention does this paper lend itself to? Um, again, you know, the, the same type of therapeutic interventions that we've, we've talked about before, they, they parallel. Um, again, because this enzyme that's responsible for converting, you know, your, your B12 to the active form of B12, methylcobalamin, may have issues, you would want to supplement with methylcobalamin. Okay. You wanted to talk also about Dr. Yanucci's paper, Dysregulated Innate Immune Responses in Young Children with Autism Spectrum Disorders, Their Relationship to Gastrointestinal Symptoms and Dietary Intervention. That paper was in Neuropsychobiology. And the conclusion said, our results revealed that there are findings limited to GI-positive uh, autism spectrum disorder peripheral blood mononuclear cells in both the unrestricted and elimination diet groups. Thus, our findings indicate intrinsic defects of innate immune responses in GI-positive ASD children, but not in non-allergic food hypersensitivity or GI-negative ASD children, suggesting a possible link between GI and behavioral symptoms mediated by innate immune abnormalities. What, first of all, what kinds of kids was she looking at or comparing? Um, she was looking at children who have real clinical GI distress symptoms. And what's hugely exciting about this paper is that there was a relationship between GI symptoms, immune system findings in the GI system, changes in the diet, and changes in behavior. Excellent. And there had been talk for years about the fact that, you know, you do this gluten-free, casein-free diet, and the kids seem to get better. And what's exciting about this paper is that it's showing that there's a relationship between immune system response in the GI tract, because your GI tract has a tremendous percentage of your immune system is located there, because it's your first line of defense about of everything that comes through your body. And if there is an issue with your immune system response, there, and there is a connect, and this paper is showing that there is a connection between this response and behavior 
which would justify why so many people are seeing behavioral changes when they do a variety of different kinds of diets because they're possibly affecting what's going on in their immune system response in the GI tract. Hugely, hugely significant, very exciting research paper. Okay, so the GI pathology it, is... It's a link between behavioral systems and an immune system abnormality. Okay, let's pick up with this when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymatica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. With Dr. Lauren Underwood talking about Dr. Unici's paper, Dysregulated Innate Immune Responses in Young Children with Autism Spectrum Disorders, Their Relationship to Gastrointestinal Symptoms and Dietary Intervention. And right before the break, Lauren, you were talking about the connection between um, the GI system, the immune system, and what we see behaviorally. If it looks bad, they act bad. If it looks better, they're acting better. And that's basically, in a nutshell, what they found in the paper. And what I, I wanted to just even read from the paper uh, to help kind of like 
you know, spread all this out, is that, you know, they're talking about immune system dysfunction, immune system problems. Um, innate immunity provides the initial immune defense by activating immune cells. And, you know, the immune system is a finely tuned thing. It's like balanced. It knows when to react a certain way because there are certain things in the immune system, these communicators called cytokines. And in order for the immune system to know how to function properly, these cytokines talk to each other and say, you know, produce these kind of cells or produce inflammatory cells. And there's a regulation as far as how it knows what to produce and when. And what they're finding is that in the subset of children, the, the cytokine representation uh, in a subset of these children lends itself to these inflammatory responses and that when the immune system is active like this and there is a GI distress at the same time, when diet and changes occur, the immune system settles down. You don't have expression of these cytokines and consequently, behavior is better. So there is a relationship between the occurrence of and the um, reaction of the immune system, the cytokine production, and behavior. So when we're talking about how changes in diet can affect behavior, this paper shows that in a subset of children, there is a dysregulation in their immune system response in their GI tract. But yet when treated through diet and nutrition and balance, that the immune system responds more appropriately and behavior improves. So the cytokines are kind of giving out signals, attack, attack, attack. Is that Inflame, right? inflame, inflame. <laughs> inflame, inf yeah, okay. Inflame, inflame, inflame. So, of course, they would, the, the kids would act better if they feel better, if their body's yeah. not at war with itself. So if you... Think back to like, um, you know, one of like Dr. Andy Wakefield's initial papers when he talks about something like ileonodular hyperplasia and he shows these slides of these immune system cells in the GI tract and they're swollen and irritated and I like to give people the analogy of like your tonsils, you know, when you have swollen tonsils and they get all swollen and inflamed and how much it hurts. Well, there, there are patches of tissue like that in the GI tract that get swollen and inflamed and irritated. And again, it's your immune system responding to something, but in this case, it's a dysregulation of the immune system. It's responding to things that it shouldn't be. And so when you get that appeased, when it's calmed down and it's not swollen and irritated, and the GI tract feels better, just like when your sore throat goes away and it feels better, the children behave better. Do any of these um, pro-inflammatory cytokines or, or chemokines or anything like translate up into what's going on in your brain? They can, and I believe we're going to talk about that when we talk about the next paper. Okay, very good. So let's, let's backtrack um, a little bit. Um, I'm not sure our listeners understand um, or familiar, have been exposed to the terms yet of innate immune abnormalities and cellular immune reactivity, and, and it looks like Dr. Yanucci thinks that the kids have um, a high prevalence of innate immune abnormalities and that that could predispose them to cellular immune reactivity to dietary proteins and other environmental factors. Can you explain that? Um, and when you, when you talk about the immune system, there's basically there's two parts of the immune system. There's the innate immune system, the one that you're born with, and then there's the adaptive 
immune system, which your body learns over time. And the innate immune system is involved with the production of your, you know, lymphocytes that, you know, tell you whether or not you're going to, you know, go in and attack something or you're going to produce antibodies, you know, an inflammation response against something. And there's a balance between, you know, this, the signals that are told from the cells and whether or not you're going to go in and attack or whether or not you're going to go, you know, in and produce antibodies. And so when we're saying there's a dysregulation, it's saying that that balance or whatever that controlling mechanism, that innate mechanism that tells your body how to respond appropriately is dysregulated. It's not functioning properly. So you're, you know, you're, you're producing antibodies when you shouldn't be or you're attacking when you shouldn't be. So it's, just, it's basically not doing what it's supposed to be when it's supposed to. And the immune system is never supposed to do harm. So when you have dysregulation, it affects all the systems of the body. And I believe we talked about some of that last week. Okay, so something... A week or two ago, not last week. Yeah. So something caused... Somehow our, lots of kids' immune systems got dysregulated and then they ended up having so to speak, allergic reactions to things like dietary proteins and other things? Yes. yes. Okay, so that... The body is reacting to things as if they're foreign right. and they shouldn't. Right. So it's, it's an abnormal immune system response. And an analogy is like, you know, MS, the disease multiple sclerosis. You end up with an abnormal immune system response and your body actually attacks its own cells of the nervous system. Right. Um, people understand that because they know, this, you know, people are familiar with the symptoms and um, the fact that your body is attacking itself. Uh, same thing with, like, um, rheumatoid arthritis and um, lupus. Those are all autoimmune diseases where your body is actually attacking the bodies of yourself. So it's not, like, something that's unheard of. So how would these immune system events in infancy um, adversely affect development, cognitive development, how would that translate? Um, again, this, if you end up with um, an inflammatory response uh, when you're not supposed to, uh, cells that are talking to each other, they're going to tell them to, you know, swell up. Um, it can affect cells all over the body, including the nervous system, including cells of the brain. And, you know, I guess we can go into yep. uh, okay. the, the Pardo paper okay, where you end up with, you know, inflammation of particular cells of the brain, which can in turn affect normal brain function and nerve conduction. Okay. And to let our listeners know, we're talking about the Vargas Pardo study in Annals of Neurology, Neuroglial Activation and Neuroinflammation in the Brain of Patients with Autism. And they said, we demonstrate an active neuroinflammatory process in the cerebral cortex, white matter, and notably in cerebellum of autistic patients. Immunocytochemical studies showed marked activation of microglia and astroglia, and cytokine profiling indicated that macrophage chemoattractant protein and tumor growth factor beta-1 derived from neuroglia were the most prevalent cytokines in brain tissues. Cerebral spinal fluid showed a unique pro-inflammatory profile of cytokines, including a marked increase in macrophage chemoattractant protein. 
Our findings indicate that innate neuroimmune reactions play a pathogenic role in an undefined proportion of autistic patients, suggesting that future therapies might involve modifying neuroglial responses in the brain. So what does this mean? And, <laughs> and I think you, you indicated that it's somehow connected to the indicators of inflammatory activity that Dr. Yanucci found. Um, it, it, again, it just it, it parallels what she found in her paper. It's just we're now going to look at different parts of the body. And in particular, I think they were talking about the microglia and the glia cells in the brain, in the brain and regions of the cerebellum. And, again, we're talking about cytokines. And cytokines are the chemical messengers that tell whether or not you're supposed to produce an inflammatory response. And so um, what happens in this case is that they end up as a, uh, because of the, cyto the chemical messaging that goes on, you end up with an activation of cells that you might not necessarily want activated in the brain. And what they're talking about here in particular are the microglia and the astroglia. Now, what does this mean? Microglia are like the macrophages of the brain, and they're like the first, you know, line of, like the macrophages of the immune system. They're the macrophages of the brain, and they go in and, you know, just start absorbing and taking in things, you know, to help the body get rid of them. And then the astroglia are, you know, they have all kinds of functions in the brain, but in particular, uh, they're responsible for biochemical support, uh, biochemical pathways, and support of the blood-brain barrier. And so if you're ending up with inflammatory responses of these cells in the brain, um, it's going to affect normal uh, nerve conduction in these area. Normal function that's taking place in the brain can affect behavior. Uh, the other part of the brain that we're talking about is cerebellum, which is responsible for balance and a lot of motor coordination. And if you have increased swelling there on top of that, it can affect normal motion and movement. So you have, um, you know, cytokines that are telling parts of the brain to activate and become inflamed, which will affect normal function and nerve transmission, uh, which can result in effects upon behavior. And basically that's what, you know, the paper is theorizing and that you would want to look at ways to reduce inflammation so that you wouldn't have these negative effects. Is this therapeutically, what do we do? Um, well, um, not, um, you know, a, a very, very uh, recent paper published by uh, Dr. Rossignol et al., uh, looked at using hyperbaric oxygen therapy to help reduce you know, inflammation, not only in you know, neural inflammation, uh, but also in the GI tract. And uh, he published two studies that looked at the outcomes, not necessarily on the fact that this, this you know, uh, treatment definitely reduces inflammation, but we see as this treatment has been used for other inflammation-like conditions uh, that it worked and translates to treatment for autism and that when children are treated with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, uh, behavior improves. Okay, very good. More on this when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica.
Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, 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 there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Lauren Underwood, and we were talking about the Vargas-Pardo study in Annals of Neurology, Neuroglial Activation and Neuroinflammation in the Brain of Patients with Autism. And, Lauren, you were talking about how HBOT, or hyperbaric oxygen therapy, um, could be used as a therapeutic modality for those with neuroinflammation. Yes, and actually, you know, if we do get an opportunity to, you know, continue and look at some other additional research papers on another show, I would love to have the opportunity to talk about Dr. Rossinall's research findings and two, I think he's got two or three studies that look at using hyperbaric oxygen therapy for the treatment of autism as it relates to um, inflammation, neuroinflammation, and GI distress. So because there have been gains across the board uh, using hyperbaric oxygen therapy to address some of these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. Let's backtrack a minute because I don't think, I think you implied it, but I don't think I asked you outright um, how the Yanucci study had bearing upon treatment. Excuse me? I'm sorry. I, I missed the last part. How the Yanucci study had bearing upon treatment. What it would indicate we should do that would be helpful. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, by modifying the diet, uh, by addressing the things that their immune system is responding to that they eat. 
thereby, thereby uh, appeasing this immune system response, uh, reducing the inflammation, reducing the GI distress, reducing the child's distress, improving the child's behavior. And over time, we can actually see um, children, many children with autism, either significantly improving or recovering. Um, you know, uh, there's children who do a number of years of therapeutic diet and other healing modalities, such as those we've been talking about, supplements, um, IV glutathione. Um, some children have used IVIG. Um, some children have used chelation to help, you know, clean up the toxicity in their bodies. And we actually see the uh, improvement in behavior and cognition and overall quality of life. And, and these also um, correlate with objective lab test results. So, Lauren, do the kids need to be on these diets forever? Can their systems heal to the point where then they can actually eat um, neurotypical diets or a wider variety of foods as their immune system improves and their GI tract improves? Um, that's a really good question, and again, it's a case-to-case -case situation. Uh, again, you know, each of these children respond differently. There are there have been cases where you know parents have slowly worked foods back into the diet and noticed no change and realized that they can indeed you know introduce some foods. And some kids are super super sensitive, and you introduce you know foods and they they still react. So um, it just it depends upon the child, um, but generally, as they do get older, it seems like that their immune systems are better equipped to deal with what they've been, you know, introduced to. One, because you've healed the issues that have been going on with the GI tract over time, and two, you've also balanced the immune system by doing this, so it reacts more appropriately. So, um, and again, this, these are long-term studies that need to be conducted. Uh, on top of the fact, some of this, you know, some of these children, these things are going still ongoing as we speak. You know, some of these modalities are still basically, you know, as we look at it as far as like a timeline of events, very young in their implementation. You know, you can make broad statements after 20 years of looking at how you know, modalities are implemented. So, you know, over time, I think we'd be able to make a more appropriate uh, predictive statement. Okay. So, but in general, um, since it's better to do safely something rather than nothing, I, we don't, Absolutely, you know, we yeah. don't necessarily have, you know, another... And as early as possible, because, you know, the sooner that you address whatever the insult is, the more likely that you end up with healing and, you know, a better behaved immune system on top of that. Right, restoring health to your child. So a good idea would, to be, would be to find um, a, a doctor who is experienced in the real, the underlying, he knows or he or she knows the real underlying physiological roots of autism, the conditions, keeps up to date on the latest um, science and research, uh, such as the Feed Autism Now uh, doctor, and chart a study course um, and do the... And, and has like a, a comprehensive or an overall look at the patient as opposed to just one little tiny minute area. You know, looking at the body as a whole mm -hmm. and rather than in parts. Doing the objective laboratory testing, regular medical monitoring, especially with any significant biomedical intervention, and then just moving forward and watching your child grow and improve. 
which is very exciting to see. Improve, heal, behave more neurotypically, which is what every parent of a child with autism likes to see, wants to see, and can potentially see. So just to summarize here, um, we've talked about folinic acid, injectable methylcobalamin, or you mentioned some other forms of methyl B12 as well. Vagal um, and um, transdermal, uh, you know, a lot of uh, supplements can be prepared in a transdermal preparation. Many kids can be noncompliant as far as taking oral supplementation. So this is a very nice alternative method of administration. Uh, we mentioned IV glutathione also, and and uh, credence was lent to those by not only Dr. Jill James' paper, but Drs. Wall and Dee's paper. Um, we mentioned the gluten-free casein-free diet, therapeutic diet, and uh, you mentioned hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Lauren? inflammation and inflammation in the GI tract. Just to wrap things up again, um, what is the importance, the, the crucial thing about using biomedical interventions in conjunction with a behavioral educational program? Unfortunately, many of these children have gone through a period of abnormal development. So it's really important for them to have interventions as far as some sort of behavioral intervention so that these inappropriate behaviors can be, you know, corrected and appropriate behaviors can be taught. But if the child is unwell, they are not going to be responsive to these behavioral interventions that parents can be spending quite a bit of money on. So a happier, healthier you know, child with a, a better sense of well-being is going to be way more responsive to any behavioral therapy treatment that's implemented if they feel better. They're going to be more attentive. They're going to be more on task. They're going to acquire more skills if they're focused, if they can attend, if they don't have a runny nose, if they don't have GI distress, if they're not in pain, if they're not uncomfortable. If they're healthy, they're going to respond better. So overall, you know, you, you need the behavioral interventions because they've had this time period of abnormal behavior, but you also need them to be feeling well so that they can respond to these behaviors. Absolutely. Well, Lauren, thank you for explaining the importance of these papers. And Dr. Underwood will be speaking at Autism Changing the Course in Canada October 31st to November 1st. We hope to see you there, too, in Toronto. Next week, Barbara Lowe Fisher will be back following the meeting about the swine flu vaccination menace, and we'll try to round up some additional special guests for you. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, for questions about this program or if you'd like to see some of the papers we've been talking about, please email me at tiaranga at autism1.org. Be sure to visit the new web and social networking site at www.autism1.org. For our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Oranga.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.